When you're hiring, it feels amazing to finally close out a job search. But what if you could get rid of the search and just match? You can with Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hey, Her Hoop Stats fans, welcome to another episode of the Her Hoop Stats Unplugged podcast. As always, you're here with Megan Gower, and welcome to part two of our NCAA preview episodes. I'm back again with Jen Hatfield and Calvin Wetzel, kind of breaking down all the things you need to know going into the NCAA season, which we're releasing this on Monday, November 4th, so starts tomorrow. Pretty big day tomorrow. Looking forward to the season kicking off since we recorded part two of this podcast last Monday. A couple major things have happened. The AP poll has come out. Um, Oregon sitting at number one, Baylor at number two. Uh, so that's out and in the world. And then also big news on the Yukon Huskies front. The NCAA denied Avina Westbrook's waiver request for immediate eligibility. We comment on that kind of some later in the podcast with the, we don't know what's going on with the waiver yet. So that has been decided since, but UConn is appealing the decision. So still kind of up in the air. Uh, but without further ado, let's kick off episode two of our NCAA preview. Jen and Calvin, let's start off with our All-American picks. Who do you guys have on your preseason All-American teams? So I have, um, actually earlier I said I had two bold predictions. I think I actually might have three. You guys can tell me. I think uh, one of these is going to count as a bold prediction too, but I have four that are pretty safe. I would say I'm giving, I'm going to give Oregon some love. Sabrina and Ruthie are going to be on the list. Lauren Cox. I don't know if anyone would argue with Sabrina and Lauren Cox. That'd be a hot take if so. Um, Kennedy Carter is just going to go nuts this year, I think. Drop all sorts of points. I'm putting her on the list. And then I'm also going to put back to uh, back to the right love. I'm going to put Erica Gumake as my fifth All-American this year. First team All-American. Definitely a hot take. I like it. <laughs> my list kind of mixes positions a little bit, at least compared to the watch list. So I hope you'll you'll permit me that discretion, though it looks like 
Calvin, if you've got Sabrina and Kennedy Carter, then then I'm good on that front. So I'm I'm with you on Sabrina, Kennedy, and Lauren. And the ones that I would slot in would be Kyla Charles from Maryland, who apologies to Maryland that we didn't talk about her during the position watch list, but she's fantastic. Um, so I would slot her in at roughly the three position, and then Beatrice Montemere from Miami as the five. I just I'm not sure that. Like, Oregon will be really good, but I'm not sure that folks will slot two players from Oregon on the same team when they can pick, um, you know, someone who's indisputably the leader of their team, like Montemere will be, um, to fill in that spot. So nothing went through you, just trying to think of, you know, how the season might play out a little bit. Yeah, I also have Montemere on my list in that kind of fifth spot. So I do think that she over like another pick from Oregon. I actually don't have Hebert on my list, but I do have Lauren Cox and Sabrina Ionescu, of course. I think like Helpin said, it would be a pretty much a hot take to not have them on. And then my last two are Christelle Dangerfield um, with the honorable mention to Kennedy Carter. I think that Dangerfield might be have a big year for UConn, so I'm going to keep her on there to start, but we'll see how that plays out. And then, of course, Michaela anywhere, as I think no one at this point that's listened to me talk about UCLA you know, is surprised by. <laughs> yeah, that, uh, that is predictable, Megan, I, I'll be honest. UCLA um, and UConn love. I have a kind of add-on question on that for you guys. National Player of the Year, I'm going to guess you pretty much will pop it between either Sabrina or Lauren. Do you have a favorite for that right now? Yeah, I think it has to be Sabrina. I think, I mean, we said the point guard, the Lieberman Award is hers to lose. I, I mean, Lauren Cox is great. This might be a stretch, but it almost feels like the player of the year is Sabrina's to lose to with just, I mean, so many triple doubles and Oregon is probably going to be AP number one, whenever that come, whenever the preseason poll comes out Wednesday. Wednesday, there you go. So we'll find out maybe by the time this is published, I don't know when you're putting this out, but she's, you know, if things play out like that, she'll be the best player on the best team. And, She's going to get all the attention. Not that Lauren Cox won't, but Sabrina is just at another level right now, I think. And I, I think I'm like just thinking about the schedule a little bit. So, you know, Oregon could take some lumps in the Pac 12. Uh, I haven't looked too carefully at their non conference, but Baylor doesn't tend to go too heavy in the non conference and then should be pretty strong in the Big 12. So, if Baylor kind of waltzes into the NCAA tournament with a similar record to what it did last year. You know, they, I don't think they have to go undefeated in the Big 12 again. That's a, that's a big ask. But, you know, if they have only a couple losses and Oregon takes a couple lumps in the Pac-12, you know, that, that Oregon State and Stanford gauntlet, maybe UCLA steals a game. You know, if they, if they seem vulnerable, the best player on the best team idea might actually turn in favor of Lauren Cox just based on perception and record and things like that. Yeah, I'm going to actually go with Jen on this one, too. I am leaning towards Cox right now. I'm kind of going to bleed into what we're going to talk about next, but I think Baylor's got a real good job, or real good chance at repeating. Um, and I think, arguably, Lauren Cox might have been more important to their title run last year than Kalani Brown was. 
that might be a bit of a hot take, but um, I just think she's an incredible player for them, incredible on defense, which is a big part of Baylor's game, and I think she's got a real shot at that National Player of the Year award. Yeah, but I but I do agree with Calvin that Sabrina should be considered the favorite right now. I just think that Lauren might sneak in. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that's definitely a valid point. What are the odds that someone other than those two wins this award? Uh, something crazy will have to happen. I feel like I don't. I will be. I don't know. It'll be like Megan Walker putting up Nafisa Collier numbers that UConn or something crazy that would have to happen to have it be a conversation. And I don't know that that's gonna happen. So <laughs> pigs will be flying. I think you might need something like Baylor not winning the Big Twelve, like if Texas or someone can can swoop in and, and take it, or at least you know tie for it. That might give some opening there. And then, like I said before, if, if Oregon really struggles in, in the Pac twelve and someone from UConn steps up, or who knows, even even Kennedy Carter, if Texas A and M surprises, they've actually got a ton of people back and should be pretty good. So, um, but I don't think they're getting talked about as much, kind of for the similar reasons to why Oregon State isn't, um, you know, they've just got the returners, not the flush freshman. But, um, yeah, I, I think that I think that both Oregon and Baylor would kind of have to be disappointing relative to the really, really high bars that we've set for them, and someone else would have to be going nuts. Yeah, I would definitely agree with that. We're kind of shifting away from the takes on the players and more towards the teams. What are you guys' final four picks coming into the season? Obviously, we'll probably all have different choices come March, and the bracket, I'm sure, won't work out in the way that we are going to describe it now, but who do you have there right now? We'll just have to come back and compare notes. <laughs> yes. We'll see who is, who is the farthest off, and they'll win the <laughs> prize. Oh, boy, Jen, you want to take it? Sure. So my final four, I almost went with three Pac-12 teams, but I'm going to go with two. My two are going to be Oregon and Oregon State, not Stanford. And then I'm going to take Maryland and Baylor. I've also got Oregon and Baylor in mine. I do have UConn in mine. I actually almost didn't put them in. Um because I just do think, especially with the Westbrook's waiver not being approved yet, it seems like they're positive about that. But I mean, or not positive, but like hopeful that it's going to be approved, but still a big question mark as to who's going to have that fifth starting spot if it's not her. And I just think there's a lot of big question marks as to like who's going to step up and to what level and is it enough? Um, but I have faith in Gino, so I'm putting them in there. Um, and then I had a really hard time with the fourth spot. I have it kind of as a 50-50 right now between UCLA, shocking, and Maryland, um, leaning towards Maryland. But it could easily be Oregon State or Stanford, I think, in that spot as well. Yeah, I'm, uh, I'm with you guys on Maryland for sure. Maybe a little bit of my Big Ten bias, but I mean they're they're also just loaded. They get ninety percent of their scoring back. Uh, top three recruiting class: Diamond Miller and Ashley Wusu will contribute right away. Probably they they took a little bit of a blow though when uh, Mimi Collins was ruled ineligible to transfer from Tennessee, but I still think they're going to get in there in the final four. I have UConn with you, Megan. I uh, I know a lot of people are kind of looking at this as kind of the year that the streak ends. 
there's a good chance they're not ranked in the top four on Wednesday when that poll comes out. Um, yep. It's 12 in a row, right? Yeah. about that number. Yeah, I, I still see that going to 13, but I think if Westbrook, if Westbrook's waiver, you know, if the situation lagged or lingered or if she were not approved, I might have to go edit that pick. Um, I'm kind of thinking she'll be able to play and kind of base my pick on that. Um, and then I also have Oregon and Baylor. We just close because I would love to see her play with UConn, but I also think it would be really exciting to see her back at Tennessee. So I would just love to clone her and make both clones eligible. And then they can play each other in the UConn-Tennessee game. What do we think? Yeah, I'm, I'm not a big fan of anyone being ineligible, actually. So maybe don't get me on my soapbox on that one, but... <laughs> <laughs> Another podcast. <laughs> That's uh, that could be a whole pod in and of itself. <laughs> Definitely. Well, I interrupt with your final four picks, so I'll I'll steer you from one soapbox back to the other one. <laughs> no, no problem. Uh, Oregon and Baylor uh, were my other two. With like we talked about, the two best players in the country, and uh, Oregon. Obviously, their hopes. Uh, took a hit too when uh, Sabali 2.0 got hurt again. But obviously they still have Sabali number one. They still have Ruthie. They still have Sabrina. They still have – they're loaded with talent from coming back from a Final Four team. And I think last year Oregon kind of hasn't been in that top tier for a while with the, the Yukons and the Stanfords really until the last year or two. They've kind of – put themselves in there and so last year it almost felt like getting to the final four that was like that was a giant deal and that's not going to mean anything to them this year this year it's championship or bust they know what they're playing for you know they're not going to be just happy with anything short of that um they already have that experience of going there you know they know what it's like so definitely picking them and then baylor talked about the i think the only team although Jen made a good argument that Stanford should have five on the position list, but I think Baylor's the only team that actually does. Um, Taya Cooper, the grad transfer from South Carolina, will be big for them. So I'm putting Baylor in there in the final four as well. Yeah. I think one thing that's really interesting from like a bracketology perspective is that assuming that, you know, these four Pac-12 teams kind of live up to their expectations, the top four Pac-12 teams, they'll probably all have to be in different sides of the brackets which kind of bodes well for a lot of um, Pac-12 teams in the Final Four because they can't be playing kind of before then. So that will be an interesting thing to keep an eye on come tournament time and bracketology season. It'll be interesting, too, with um, putting them in different brackets. I believe in the women's game, there has never been a year where the same conference had three one seeds. It's happened a couple times in the men's side including this past year but i don't think it's ever happened in the women's side this could be the year that it happens with the pac-12 yeah, there's definitely a real chance of that happening um if not i think they'll have three if not four teams between the number one and two seeds so it will definitely be an interesting year there it's kind of crazy too how long we've gone in this podcast and, and only glancingly touched the ACC. We talked a little bit about Louisville. We've talked about Montpelier from Miami. Um, but other than that, I mentioned Tulane from NC State, but we really haven't talked about 
anyone from the BCC is a threat to win the championship. Are there any teams that you guys could see coming out of the ACC and making the Final Four? I think it's hard to say right now. I mean, I think Louisville's probably the favorite to win the ACC. Not as strong as in, like, previous years that, like, Notre Dame and Louisville have been the favorites to win it. I, like, I think there's just a lot of question marks there right now, right? They lost a lot. We don't really know what to expect from the rest of their players. It's, like, similar to UConn, but with even less proven, I think, than what UConn has coming back. So I think a lot of question marks there, but I think Jeff Walsh is a great coach and they could definitely be in a Final Four contention spot, but come March. Yeah, and I'll throw Florida State in there as well. You said Louisville and Notre Dame, right? Um, and I'll throw Florida State and maybe NC State in there as well as definitely contenders this year to to challenge challenge the Notre Dames and the Louisvilles, the top tier, you know, if at least compete for uh, for that double buy in the ACC tournament. Yeah, I actually don't think that Notre Dame will be a top team in the ACC this year. I think, I don't know, I've actually kind of been surprised with some of their preseason rankings. Like, I find that a lot of them seem a little high to me, uh, just in comparison. I think that they have a lot of rebuilding to do. They really don't have anyone coming back that played significant minutes last year. So, I mean, Muffet is also great. So anything could happen there, but I think there's a whole lot of question marks there. Yeah, definitely. I think getting Marta's music from Stanford helps, not necessarily from a points production standpoint, because she only averaged five points a game or so, but just from that leadership perspective and help mentor some of the freshmen, like Sam Brunel inside is going to be really good, but they're just like super young. I feel like Notre Dame kind of sums up the whole season, which to me feels like there are a lot more top-level teams from last year that are rebuilding than normal like I have several teams kind of in my wait and see bucket just to see how the pieces fit together and how they gel so Notre Dame's in that bucket for me Stanford's in that bucket Louisville South Carolina and Mississippi State are and UConn are like the big six that I just throw out there right away um but I'm sure there are others uh, Tennessee we're, we're definitely still watching I think it's a slightly different case but there's there seem to be a lot of teams for me that I would firmly put a question mark on right now and say, all right, let's just give it a month and see, see how things go during those Thanksgiving tournaments that always seem to have some good games, for example. Yeah, definitely. South Carolina is one we haven't really talked about much yet, but another one that should be really interesting to watch this uh, this year with their recruiting class is just insane, but it's a lot of really young and unproven at this point talent. So going to be interesting to keep an eye on I have a feeling they'll be much better in like February than they're going to be in November um but yeah they play Maryland in two weeks and I am both extremely excited for that game and also slightly sad that it doesn't happen you know in early December or even in January um you know I would I would pick Maryland for that game right now but if that game is in January, like who knows how good South Carolina is going to be. Nobody should bet against Don Staley. Um, so, yeah, they're just a big question mark for me right now, and I'm not sure that they'll gel quickly enough to be able to beat Maryland. Yeah, kind of makes a perfect segue to the next topic as we're starting to talk about kind of some matchups that are coming up. Your guys' top like games to watch the season, anything that's definitely on your radar. Um, 
there are just so many, right? There are so many. Uh, I mean, first of all, like before before many of the games even get underway, we've got these Team USA exhibitions against four different teams: uh, Stanford, Oregon, Oregon State, and Texas A&M. Which I haven't heard anything about whether we'll be able to watch those on any channel or via live stream, but I sincerely hope so because I'm super excited about that. But as far as games that count, I mean, UConn always schedules really great matchups in the non-conference. Like they'll play Oregon, they'll play Notre Dame, they'll play South Carolina. You know, so all of those are going to be great. Maryland, South Carolina that I mentioned. Tennessee, Notre Dame is on November 11th, and I'm really excited for that. And like I said, Thanksgiving is going to be awesome, but I, I will – Stop talking there because I could just, I could just keep going. Yeah, I also have those like you two you cut or two of those UConn games on my list: UConn, Oregon, and UConn Baylor. I think the Baylor one is in January, and then the Oregon or yeah, Oregon one is in February. So they're kind of later on, and then like non-conference schedule actually kind of butt into the conference schedule portions of the season. Um, so I think those will be super interested because you'll have interesting because you'll have more developed teams. You'll be closer to March. Um, has some time for kind of all the new pieces to gel in. So I think those will be great March, like preview games. Um, I also have Oregon, Oregon State on the list just because they play, it's like a Friday and like a Sunday. It's like they play, I think, Oregon on the 24th and then at Oregon State on the 26th in January. So it's kind of like a fun weekend of crazy Pac-12 games. Yeah, they did that last year too, and I was out of town for the weekend and was like, wow, I said this super poorly. <laughs> yeah, you gotta you gotta plan these things in advance for sure. Um, but I'm actually not looking too far in advance. I have uh, I'm super excited for a week from tomorrow for opening day. It's probably the second my second favorite time of year behind March itself. So full disclosure I'm using PTO on that day. I'm just watching basketball. I'm not doing anything else. So I have three games to watch just for that day. And the first one is in the afternoon, Missouri State versus Minnesota. Jen wrote a great preview about Missouri State. All our listeners, go go check it out. Um, they're coming off a Sweet 16 run. Um, and they just right away, 3 o'clock, day one, go up to the barn to play a Minnesota team who they're going to get Kadiva Hubbard back after an injury. Lindsey Whalen's in her second year now. They kind of have a little bit more, you know, in terms of expectations and experience with her under their belt. Um, both of these teams definitely could, you know, this game could have tournament implications in March, and it's one of the first games on the schedule. So definitely looking forward to this one. Um, I'm also looking at later Ohio versus Syracuse. Syracuse is one of those teams that, is going to get some votes for the top 25. And Ohio, if anyone saw the um, mid-major top 10 that ESPN put out recently, they're in the top five of that, probably MAC favorites. So definitely looking at Ohio versus Syracuse, a test for them right away. And then my third bold prediction is in the third game, I'm looking at Rutgers versus South Alabama. Hot take that South Alabama is going to win this game on opening night. Rutgers has to go down to their place. They ended last season with, you know, a lot of kind of weird turmoil. Caitlin Jenkins was arrested, kicked off the team. Obviously, Stringer had, you know, the leave of absence. CeCe Cryer was dismissed. Sierra Calhoun left the team for personal reasons. The roster looked way different in March than it even did a month before in February, including their coach. So they're kind of 
regrouping, you know, stringers back now, in addition to the three, you know, that were either kicked off or left, they lost three of their other top seven. So they actually lost six other top seven um, in terms of minutes. South Alabama is one of those teams that basically returns everyone sneaky good last year. They were 20, they, uh, they won 23 games. They were 23 and 11, won a game in the WNIT. So there's my, there's my third hot tape. I'm watching Rutgers, South Alabama mm-hmm. and, I think South Alabama is going to start the season with a win. Love it. Love it. Good opening night upset. So, <laughs> that is quite the hot take. The other, the other thing I would add about your first game, the Missouri State Minnesota game. Um, yeah, hot take Missouri State's going to be really good. That's not actually a hot take. Um, they returned 12 of 13 players from last year. But the. The fun fact that I wanted to point out is Missouri State has a new coach. So they lost one player and then their whole coaching staff because Kelly Harper was hired at her alma mater, Tennessee. So they have a new coach, Coach Mox, uh, who was an assistant at Michigan State. So presumably has all sorts of scouting reports on Minnesota. So I just love those sort of coach connections um, and think that that adds another layer to to what should be a really interesting game even beyond that yeah that's a good point there's i love the coaching connections in college basketball with hundreds of teams there's always coaches who have coached with or you know under other coaches and those are those 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 are always some of the best storylines Definitely. So on a similar note, Calvin, you wrote a great article, I think it was last week, kind of talking about scheduling and kind of how some of these coaches go about scheduling some of these non-conference games that we're talking about here now as some of the ones we want to watch this season. You want to throw in some tidbits from that? Yeah, it was uh, it was really fun to got to talk to four coaches, uh, Kelly Graves up at Oregon and then uh, Aaron Roussel, who has been at Bucknell for the last uh, several years, and this is his first year at Richmond. He took Bucknell from no one to tournament team. Um, and then Jenny Bronchek at Drake and Jared Olson at Cal Baptist, who is a new D1 team as of a year ago. So a lot of different perspectives, all the way from Cal Baptist to Oregon, and you know a lot in between. And we all kind of know, any of us who watch college basketball, just we kind of know that different coaches schedule differently and there's certain teams that no one wants to go play. And there's certain teams that schedule all sorts of tough matchups and certain teams that just want to, you know, kind of pad the record. We all kind of know that, but hearing some of these coaches just be candid about it and just, you know, say exactly, exactly what, what they're looking for when they make the schedule and kind of what goes on behind it and how many different, not only ways there are to schedule, but it just even different kind of, Behind the scenes, Kelly Graves loves to do everything himself. So he makes all the phone calls and everything. Some of the other coaches just let someone else do the dirty work. There's so many vast differences in every facet of scheduling from one coach to another. And it was it was fascinating to hear some of these coaches just kind of talk about talk about some of those. Awesome. So yeah, definitely plug if you haven't read that article yet, go check it out on our medium site. Um, really interesting read. Uh, so definitely make sure you check that one out. Uh, I think the last thing we wanted to talk about was mid-majors. So I think we've already talked about quite a bit of these throughout the rest of the podcast anyway, but wanted to give some extra attention to some of the top mid-major teams coming up this year. I know one that I had on my 
list was rice, but I think we've given them quite a bit of airtime already. Uh, we can't talk about rice enough, Megan. Yeah, just, I think like if you are going to watch one mid-major team this year, I would be like, go watch every rice game. They're going to be great. Um, a lot of fun to watch. Um, but yeah, the other thing I would put on there is definitely Drake, another top 25 team for sure, probably in the preseason. Maybe I'm just biased here because we also just wrote a ton of MVC previews, but I think the Missouri Valley Conference in general, a lot of great teams, a lot of great storylines. Definitely a mid-major conference that could kind of have multiple NCAA tournament bids this season, so one to keep an eye on as well. Um, and if you haven't checked out all those stories, too, they're also on our Medium and on the Missouri Valley Conference website, so you guys can check all those out as well. Yeah, I definitely think that, that Drake-Missouri State battle in the NBC is going to be one to watch if, if you like mid-majors battling it out for the conference title. Um, you know, some of, some of the other mid-majors that we've highlighted maybe have a slightly easier path to their conference crown than than either of those NBC teams do. So um, just a little bit of a different flavor. They could both maybe get bids to the NCAA tournament again like they did last year. Who knows? Um, so I think that's really interesting. Uh, I had I had Drake, Rice, and Missouri State on my list of mid-majors to watch as well. And I would also throw in Princeton, which we talked about earlier with Bella Allery and Gonzaga, even though, even though Calvin didn't pick them. I think they're always interesting to watch. Yeah, they'll uh, they'll definitely be interesting to watch, and uh, they'll probably prove me wrong. So we can we can come back and listen to this and make fun of me in March. But the other two, in addition to some of those you guys said, I was going to throw Princeton out there as well. But um, I'll let the Ivy League grad you know do that. I I uh, was also going to go with the state of South Dakota. South Dakota State and South Dakota will both be definitely mid majors to watch this year and battle it out. You know, similar to Drake and Missouri State at the top of the Missouri Valley Conference, the top of the Summit League is going to be, you know, a battle to watch all year uh, with that in-state rivalry. Definitely. Always a good one. I think Oregon plays South Dakota State towards the beginning of the season, too. So that'll be a big, uh, like, kind of non-conference game to watch. A good chance for Oregon to get a test pretty early on there. Yeah, a great quote about that in, in yes. Calvin's article. <laughs> so another plug for people to go read that article. Um, just to see what he wrote about that game. Yeah, Oregon actually went uh, to Brookings last year. I had to go into their building, and they escaped. But uh, Kelly Graves, you know, had some things to say about it. So go check out the article for that. But this year, they Oregon gets them at home, so it'll be a little bit tougher for South Dakota State. But they might have revenge on their mind as well. <laughs> yep. So Calvin, I was going to ask, did you did you ask Kelly Graves if he ever sleeps? Because between being on our podcast and doing all other manner of media and wanting to schedule by himself instead of outsourcing that, and you know the actual practicing with the players and and all of that, like I don't know how he does it. Yeah, that would have been a great question. Honestly, I don't know how he does it either. And the crazy thing is, between all of those other kind of responsibilities, he's also somehow so accessible and I mentioned I talked to four coaches we emailed a few more Aaron and I did uh and didn't hear back from all of them so but Kelly was the first one I talked to just right away um he's just you know driving along in the car and Aaron just kind of messaged me saying hey give Kelly a call he's free right now like 
didn't have to go through, you know, SID, set anything up. He's just drop of the hat, like ready to go, which is crazy for a guy with all this. Like everyone else, even the ones who did respond, we have to, you know, kind of fit it in at least somewhere like two weeks from now. But Kelly was just like, yeah, let's talk. I'm good. Let's go. I don't know how he does it. That's amazing. Well, that's it for our two-part NCAA preview special on the Unplugged podcast. Hope you enjoyed what we put out here. Um, if you did, please go ahead and write, rate and subscribe to our podcast on wherever you're listening to this. Helps more people find us as we're going into the season. And as always, also check out all of our written content over on Medium. Lots of great preview content coming out for the season and the site as well at herhoopstats.com. Lots of great access to NCAA stats, which starting tomorrow will be up and running for the 2019-2020 season. If you have any questions or want to get in touch with us on the podcast, suggestions for what you want to hear in the future, feel free to reach out to us at podcast at herhoopstats.com or you can find us on Twitter at herhoopstats. And thank you for listening.